Well, go to Romans chapter 5. Why don't you go ahead and get turning there or going there on your device while I do a little bit of opening statements. Romans chapter 5, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 5, as the screens say today. In case you're new here, I am not Pastor Jake. Pastor Jake is getting some much-needed time away. My name is Cody, and I work part-time here at the church in the counseling department. And I have the honor today of coming before you and talking about how awesome Jesus is. Now, I just have to say thank you to everybody on the worship team. Those songs were awesome. They go perfectly with the message today. They sang every single song about how great and awesome our God is. And that's what we're talking about today. So it all goes hand in hand today. Appreciate that. I love it. So Romans chapter 5, hopefully I've stalled long enough for you. Hopefully you are there by now. Ruslan has already prayed, so we're diving in. Here we go. Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Verse 3, turning point. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. What kind of hope? And this hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Let's say one more word to the Father before we begin. God bless your word today. This is your word. This is truth. And it is the word that we live by. Open up hearts today, Lord. Break up the fallow ground. And God, we ask today that your word would come out powerfully. And Lord, as the one song said, you are the lion. So would you come out in your word with power today, Lord? And would you bless the hearts in this room? And Lord, while we're at it, bless all the other gospel-preaching churches around this town and around the world as they are meeting today as well. God, whatever distractions there may be in this room right now, we ask that you intervene. And God, we ask that you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to start today by asking you guys a question. You can see the title up there by now. The Gifts of the Gospel. I'm going to go ahead and ask, who here likes gifts? Okay, about, about a tenth of you. That's good. <laughs> I thought today I'd be speaking to the whole audience, and I was like, man, everybody's going to relate to this, but 10, 10%, I'll take that. All right, the rest of you can just like go back to your phones or whatever. That's fine. Does anybody here like gifts? I, I think we all like gifts, yeah? We like gifts. It's the truth. Think about it right now. What's the best gift you have ever received? Or maybe what gift do you have on your mind right now and you're kind of hoping somebody will get that thing for you? I don't know about you guys, but my kind of gifts are practical gifts. I don't need anything flashy. I don't like the bling. I, I, I don't need all of the whatever. I just like the everyday stuff that is, makes every day just a little bit better. Whenever my family comes to me and asks me for my birthday or Christmas, Cody, what do you want this year? It's the same answer every single year. 
take my kids from me and let me take Kim on a date. That's all I ever want. It's the same every year. It's practical, but it's good for me. I like it. You know what? Gifts are just nice. And sometimes the best ones, though, they come from unexpected places. I'm going to step out on a limb here and just guess with everybody here today, we probably wouldn't mind every person in this room, not just the 10% that actually were brave enough to raise their hands, but all of us here would say, you know what, I could use a gift today. Now, before you think this is like Oprah and I'm going to start like panning things out to the whole crowd, and you and you, that's not going to happen today, but I am going to do that through God's word today because you see, God is great at giving gifts. And lucky for me, he's great at giving practical gifts, stuff that helps with the everyday stuff that gets you through, makes every day just a little bit better. In our passage today, we're going to see that Paul taught the believers at Rome exactly what gifts the gospel afforded to them. And we need to understand today that the same gifts that Paul was teaching about 2,000 years ago, those same gifts apply to us here, the church at St. Thomas today. This is a gift from God, the gospel. It's a gift that keeps on giving, the best kind. The question is this, are you living daily with the gifts that come through the gospel? What I mean is this, God has given us some awesome gifts and we're going to talk about them uh, a little bit more in depth today. But is it possible today as you sit here in this room Is it possible that God has given you some gifts? And maybe some of them are in the closet today or up on a shelf. Is it possible some of these gifts are unopened and you have yet to find out just how good God's gifts are for you? Today we're going to see two gifts of the gospel. First, we're going to see that the gospel settles our standing. And secondly today, we're going to see that the gospel sanctifies us through suffering. Let's begin with point one. The gospel settles our standing. And we see this in verses one and two. Look at that again with me. Romans chapter five, and we're gonna look at the first two verses. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, okay, you can see the gospel language here, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse two, through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope Of the glory of God. Now, today, as you can tell by the title of the message, we're talking about the gospel. And the book of Romans itself is loaded basically head to toe with the gospel. And Paul, the writer of the book of Romans, is an expert at teaching it. So we're all in luck today. We're going to be hearing about the gospel. Now, I'm not sure who needs to hear this, but I want you to notice with me one word that shows up in both verses, verse one and verse two. It's a key word for today. And we all need to see it. The word that Paul teaches in the gospel is faith. The meaning for this word here is having complete trust in or confidence in something or someone else. These gifts of the gospel are unlocked solely by faith. Ephesians 2 teaches us this, that we are only saved by grace through faith. So when we have complete trust or reliance in God and the gospel, that's where these gifts come into play. And because it is something that you do not earn, it is a gift. You don't have to work for these gifts. You believe by faith, you get them for free. So the gospel gifts are just that. They're gifts. 
A Google definition for the word gift is something that someone gives willingly without receiving payment in return. So notice, it's not your sterling behavior, your life experience, or your abilities that gets you into some sort of God's favor to get the gospel today. You don't have to build a resume to get God's favor. Romans 6.23 says that salvation is a gift from God. And understand this, if you do have a relationship with God today, I'm very thankful for that. But please understand that God initiated this relationship. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 19 that we only love God because he first loved us. He loved us first. So please, I don't know, like I said, I don't know who needs to hear this today, but understand that the gospel is by faith faith alone, and God made the first move. So thank God for these gifts. Now, let's dive in and see these gifts in verses 1 and 2. The first part of verse 1 here says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith. This word justified here is a legal term, meaning to be acquitted or to be set free. So because of our faith in Jesus, The Bible says we are justified. We have been acquitted of our wrongdoing. Some people look at the word justification and they say, God forgave me of my sins. Yes, but it's more than that. Somebody taught me this a long time ago, a way to remember what the word justified means. It's just as if I had never sinned. Justified. Because of him, we have been justified. You can see why we're talking about the gospel today. And this is the basis for everything that we're going to be talking about. Being a child of God affords you these gifts, and it comes through justification. The gospel changes us, but also changes how God sees us. And that's vitally important for our understanding of what we're going through today. The next phrase says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now this word for have here, I know you're like, I understand what the word have means. It's a little bit deeper in the original languages, which I geeked out on this past week while studying for this, okay? Possess, as in property or having a right to something. We have this possession of peace, a right to it because of that justification that God gave us, a right to peace. This peace that it's talking about, it's this favorable situation with tranquility, lacking judgment, So we possess, we have this right to peace because of justification, peace with God, tranquility with him. And then it says, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So thanks to Jesus, you're going to notice that's a theme today. Thanks to Jesus, we will never face the wrath or condemnation of God if you are a child of God today. That's an amazing gift if you ask me. Now, John 3 verse 16 is probably one of the most famous verses in all the world. But I also like its next door neighbor, John 3.17. It says this, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that in order that the world might be saved through him. He's not, he didn't come to condemn. And one of the gifts to you if you're a child of God today is that your standing is settled in him. Because of justification, he gives you peace with God. You can live in tranquility before the Father now. You don't have to worry if he's coming after you with wrath or condemnation. He didn't come to condemn you. For those who are in him, he came to love you. Next phrase, it says, through him. We see that again, through him. It's talking about Jesus. Everything's pointing to how awesome Jesus is. Through him, verse one, we have also obtained access. Sorry, verse two. We have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. 
So we're harping on that again. Through him, everything comes because of Jesus. He's awesome. He's kind. Okay? Now, this have also obtained. I don't know for any of you note takers out there, but I found this uh, peculiar today, well, this week. Obtained in verse 2 and have in verse 1 are actually the same Greek word. If you want to circle those, draw a line, do whatever you want to do in your notes. But have and obtained are the same thing, and that helps you to understand that fuller meaning of that word there. So once again, we're talking about this possession, almost as in property, or a right to something that God affords to us because of that justification. We have also obtained access. This word access here is talking with the idea of getting permission to go before somebody of a higher status. So we see the connection here before the Lord. Because we have been justified, we have peace with God, and now we have this access to a higher power, someone from a higher standard, uh, status. We see by faith, there it is again, complete trust and reliance into this grace in which we stand. Now, I thought this was interesting as well in my studies over the past couple weeks. The word for grace here is talking about a kindness or graciousness. So you can think of it as being in one's good graces. And then, well, what does it mean about this whole in which we stand part? This word for standing means to be firmly entrenched in or well-established. Now, I don't know about you, but that gets me excited. Firmly entrenched in or well-established in the good graces of God. Access to that. We've been justified. We have peace. And now we have access to be firmly entrenched in God's kindness, his good graces. Now, as I already told you, the second part of the message where we're going today, we're talking about suffering. And I think it's vitally important that we remember this gift right here as we talk about suffering. It's part of a foundational building block, if you will, for how we're going to understand suffering in the next part of the passage here. Sometimes when we go through suffering, the honest truth is that it trips us up. I won't make everybody raise their hand here today like I did for the gift thing, but I'm one of the people that stumbles all the time with suffering. I'll raise my hand for that. Stumbling can make us, suffering can make us stumble. Sometimes when we stumble, it's because we're questioning whether God is still good. If God actually cared, would he let me keep going on like this? If God actually knew what he was doing in my suffering, would he not pull me out of this and save me from it? Sometimes we question things about the truths of God in our suffering, and so I think it's vitally important to note right now, before we get to the part about suffering, that we understand you are firmly entrenched. You have a firm standing. You are well established in God's kindness. And any suffering that you're experiencing, God is still good and he's still being kind in that process. And we'll get more to that later on. The next phrase here, the final phrase of this little portion in verse 2, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now, rejoice is a bit of a strange word here. Some of the older translations use the word boast, but it's talking about having this unusually high confidence in something that pairs well with the word hope, which is looking forward, once again, with confidence, and the glory of God. What is that? The word glory here is talking about a remarkable appearance, okay? So rejoice, hope, glory, having this 
high degree of confidence to the point where you can boast that, yes, the Lord is coming. He's going to have a remarkable appearing, all right? So in all of this, we kind of see a past, present, and future aspect of how good these gifts are from God. If you're a child of God today, then in the past, there was a set time when you were justified. You were saved. You called on him to be your savior, and you believed by faith. And because of that, he acquitted you of all wrongdoing. He set you free. And then in the present, we have this, these other gifts, this peace from God. We can live before God and not have to worry if he's condemning us. We can live with peace and tranquility. The other gift is that we have access to these good graces. We are firmly entrenched in God's goodness. And whatever hard thing you're going through today, you can trust that God is still loving you through that. But then we also have this future gift where we have this hope, this confidence for a bright future where we will see him once again. I don't know about you guys, but I think these are pretty awesome gifts. You see, living a life in the gospel means that you have received a gift that your standing has been settled. And once these things are settled, once you are a child of God, these gifts are yours. It's settled. The question is today, do you see this gift in your life or these gifts? If you're here today and you have never trusted by faith that Jesus is your Savior, then there's a gift being offered to you today. You only need to call on him and believe trust in him by faith. If you need to talk to somebody about this, then please come see me or an elder that will be standing up at the front after the service and we can help you get that settled. For those of you who know for sure that you are a child of God today, let me encourage you to remember the gift of salvation that God has given you. Second Peter chapter 1 talks about how certain believers were forgetting what they were saved from. They had forgotten about their salvation. Because of this, it caused them to be nearsighted, it says, or to not be able to see the big picture in life, which is important. We're talking about suffering coming up next. We need to be able to see the big picture. But because they had forgotten about the gifts of salvation, the Bible says that they were not able to see the big picture. It causes them to stumble. If this is something that you can relate to today, I'm going to ask you to let God's word speak to you today. God has given us an incredible gift to the gospel. He has settled your standing. And since we can count on him for salvation, we can also count on him in point two, that the gospel will sanctify us through our suffering. Look at verses three to five with me, back in Romans chapter five. Follow along as I read. <clears throat> Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. You can see where this passage caught my attention knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, before I get started on this section on suffering, we're going to be talking about suffering, pain, and trials from here on out and how they can actually be a benefit to you. I know that might be hard to believe at the moment, but I need to put this one little precursor in here. With that said, if anyone here today is not safe or you're experiencing abuse, this is just wrong. And my prayer for you today is that you find the strength and help you need to get out of that situation and then work your way through it from a place of safety. 
On the other side of that equation, husbands, men, fathers, women, wives, mothers, if you in any way are using certain things to manipulate or control a situation in a relationship, I'm going to tell you right now, that's sin, it's wrong, you need to repent, turn from that, get right with God, and apologize to the people involved. When I'm talking the rest of this message about suffering and trials, I am not talking about abuse. That's its own separate thing. Getting back to this passage now, <clears throat> let's ask some questions. Some of you might be saying right now, okay, yeah, Cody, I'm, I am suffering right now. There's something that's been plaguing me for a while. So what does that mean about how God sees me? Or some of you might be asking the question, how is it in the first place that God allows bad things to happen to good people? Let me remind you of the theology we've learned from the Bible so far in verses 1 and 2. Verse 1 taught us for review, God sees us as acquitted and set free. That means we are at peace with him so we can rule out that the suffering you're dealing with is founded in some sort of wrathful God that's just trying to stick it to you. Verse 2 teaches us that we're firmly established in his kindness. So we can confidently look forward to his reappearing when that day comes. We can live with hope today. We don't have to be ashamed at his coming. Once again, God's heart is not to recklessly just crush you in your suffering. God's heart is for your good. Romans 8.28, a few chapters away from us. It's for your sanctification. You see that word sanctifies up in the, on the slides today. By the way, sanctification is a theological word, talking about the process of becoming more like Christ, being set apart for him, being more like Jesus. And we're gonna see in this point today how suffering actually helps to make us more like him. So just remember, let the theology that we have learned so far give you perspective on your questions for suffering as we go about this. Now, I look at verse three and I see rejoice in suffering. I'm like, what in the world? But then it dawned on me. God has allowed me to have firsthand experience of someone who was able to rejoice in their suffering. Some of you are sitting there today and you're like, rejoice in suffering, come on, this is like one of those Christian-y things that's not actually real, right? I've experienced it. Another one of the gifts that God has given me is the gift of Kim. She's right over there. Everybody look at her. She loves the spotlight, so just stare at her for a while. The gift of Kim. When I met Kim, I was right off the bat attracted to her beauty, but very soon after that, I was attracted to her joy. She was happy. I remember telling my dad how crazy I was about this girl and how happy she was all the time, and I was just rainbows and butterflies, and I was just head over heels pretty quick. A little time into me falling in love with her, somebody at college came to me and was like, is that the girl whose mom died? I was like, what? No, she never said anything about that. They said, well, you're dating Kim Harvin, right? I'm pretty sure that's the girl. Her mom recently died. And I was like, there's no way. So like any sane person, I went on Facebook and scoured through her profile. <laughs> this was back when Facebook was just getting lifted off. For some of you. I don't even have social media anymore, by the way. So I'm not a creep anymore. <laughs> At least I tell you that. But <clears throat> I went through and I found out it was true. 
So I went to her and asked her, I said, hey, somebody said you lost your mom. And since I didn't want her to know that I had gone on Facebook, I was like, is that true? And it was. But I was completely blown away by this. I couldn't believe that somebody who had so much joy had something so tragic happen in their lives. And when I asked her about it, she said, yeah, that did happen, and it was one of the darkest times of my life. And to be honest with you, I didn't actually care about living for a little while there. But through that time, I dug deep into the Psalms and Proverbs, and it's true what they say about God giving you a peace that passes all understanding and grace for each new day. And while my mom is further away than she can ever be, I know that God is closer than he's ever been as well. I was blown away. That's so powerful to me. You see, I've experienced somebody, and I hope that you get the joy of getting to experience that with somebody someday as well, but when you're with somebody where they've gone through something difficult and they have joy, it blows your mind. Only God can do that. And that's why this is a gift for believers because it's God who gives us strength in these hard times. Kim learned that God can be so close and do so much through your life when you go through hard things. If you ask her about it today, she would tell you, yeah, I wouldn't wish this to happen to anybody. But the opportunities to be there for other hurting people that I've got because of this or the things that I've learned through God because of this, in a way, I'm thankful for the good things that have come from it. The truth is, moving on, that everyone will suffer in their lives. Up on the screens, you'll see a graphic. It's true. Whether it's just part of living in a broken world, consequences of choices you've made, maybe you're experiencing suffering at the hand of somebody else, or maybe you're actually experiencing spiritual warfare. All of us, I know this is a, a shock and an a shock and awe thing for all of you, but we will all experience suffering at some point in our lives. Let me be real with you. Maybe you're experiencing it right now. Maybe you're in the thick of it. Maybe you're trying to avoid it at all costs. Maybe you're pretending it's not actually happening. Maybe you're trying to do things to numb the pain. When people come in for counseling, nine times out of 10, it's because of deep, deep experiences of suffering. And people are desperate enough to just try and get help from someone to help me through this hard time. Let me just tell you today, whatever suffering has just been triggered in your heart as I talk about it, let me just tell you that God sees you in your suffering. And he knows every single detail, even the ones that you may have kept secret. And even though you may be questioning whether God is still good, if he actually does care, or if he can and will do something good in and through your suffering, let me remind you that the same God who rained down food on his people when they were starving is the God who's good today. The same God who in 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Same God. The same God who spoke the entire universe into existence 
simply by speaking, is the same God who is able to work in and through your suffering today. So let me challenge you. Let's work together today to learn and see how God can actually do good work in and through your suffering today. Maybe even to the point where you may thank him for it. Let's dive back into the passage. Verse 3. First phrase we see here is an eye catcher for me. It says, not only that. Now, I'm not looking to cheapen out the experience of the scriptures here, but when I see not only that, I think about those late night infomercials. Do they even still have those anymore? But wait, there's more. Has anybody ever seen those before? I'm not trying to cheap down what the scriptures say here, but that's the first thing I thought of. It's like, there's all these great gifts in chapters one and two, but wait, not only that. There's more. And that's honestly what I get here when I look at this passage. God is saying, I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. There's more to be had. There are more good things. Tim Keller said of that little phrase right there, that in their meaning, this would have meant to say everything that was just good and true in verses 1 and 2, all that same power is invested now into the remainder of the passage. Everything that's good and true about the gifts in 1 and 2, the same is good about the gifts that it talks about here, being able to be sanctified in our suffering and then therefore rejoicing in it. Then we see, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Now, this is a little bit weird for me. When I see rejoice in sufferings, I think about like singing, dancing, and throwing parties. I think about that kind of rejoicing. I'm wondering to myself, I don't know if that's actually practical. What does this mean, rejoicing in sufferings? So I looked at Job because, as most of you know, Job went through a great deal of suffering. And if we look in Job chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And watch this. And all this... Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. So while I don't see Job throwing parties and popping confetti up into the air and throwing a rager, I see Job coming here with some acceptance of what the situation is and then also submitting to God and saying, whatever God has for me here, it's good. He's okay to do whatever he's doing because he's sovereign. And the Bible makes the point to say that Job didn't sin in anything by saying these things out loud before God. I want us also to notice the importance of the word in in this little phrase. Notice it's not rejoicing through your suffering. Some people carry the mindset that when they're suffering with something, the best way to get through it is just that. Get through it. Try not to let it get you down, man. Try not to feel... Uh, go right back to work so you can just get busy and forget what's even happening. We get advice on all these different areas, right, about how to go through hard things. I'm going to caution you today with some of this. In some ways, this is a person using pride to get through suffering. Somebody who is hoping in their own sheer strength, will, or determination that they can just power through, grit their teeth, and bear through it but they never go to God in their suffering, that's a dangerous place to be. 
Somebody who does that over a span of a lifetime, if you go to them for advice, they're going to give you advice on how to get through a hard time. They're going to say something like this. Well, that's just life, and you're going to have to toughen up. But it's completely lacking the grace that we are to be growing in as believers. No mention of what God can do. No mention of what Kim taught me a long time ago about how God can actually do something good in a hard time and bringing him praise and glory through the hardship. Notice also, Paul doesn't say rejoice because you're suffering. This is the other opposite. He's not teaching us to be a glutton for punishment here. Hey, rejoicing can bring about good things, so put yourself in as bad a situation as you can. Woohoo! He's not saying that either. Paul is teaching us a balanced approach of how to come before the Lord and our suffering. The believer's approach to this statement is that the gospel makes things different for Christians, and the way we go through suffering is different than everybody else. We're not just going to bear through it on our own strength. We're not just going to think that, well, there's not really a purpose to life anyways, so you just got to try to make life as pleasurable and easy as possible because what does it all matter anyways? Have as much fun as you can while you're down here because it doesn't actually matter. No. Believers get to rely on the Lord and learn and know that suffering is one of the ways that God makes almost like a manufacturing plant for purity in your life. I want you to look back down at verses three and four right now. Produces, produces, produces. We're from St. Thomas. We know a lot about manufacturing plants. In a way, we could say that this is the Holy Spirit's way of manufacturing and producing purity in your life. So while suffering is maybe not fun and we're not advocating that you throw parties for it, we are saying that God can use it for good things in your life and it's something that you may even thank him for. Moving on. The next word here is possibly one of the most important words in this passage here in verse three. Knowing. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. This word endurance here is talking about the capacity to continue to bear up under something extremely difficult or heavy. And this word knowing, ignorance is not bliss. Some of us want to go into our suffering and, hey, hey, the less I know about this, the better it's going to be for me. Just, just keep it to yourself, man. Some of us have that approach to things. But some of us also have this ignorance is bliss approach with how we handle our own suffering in life. But let me ask you, is it working out for you? Well, I read this post on here, and it says to do this for that. How's it going? Well, I watched this show, and it said this. I read that book, and it said this. Listen, there's an element here that we could almost say, knowing what suffering can do from a God perspective, knowing is what unlocks the rejoicing and suffering. It says we can rejoice in our suffering. Why? Because we know what it produces. Knowing is huge here. It's almost as if we need to have a theology on suffering. And when we know and we're assured of the good things that God can bring about in our suffering, maybe we will begin to rejoice. Maybe we will begin to see suffering as a gift. 
So suffering produces endurance. Next we see endurance produces character. Character here is a deep word. It's talking about determining the genuineness of something through testing. If you look in some of the other Bible versions, some of them will even say things like proven character, not just character by itself. Because we get that idea of something needs to be proven here. It's going into the testing fires. Or you think about the parable of the soils. The soil went out, and right, there was some of those situations there where the seed was allowed to penetrate a little bit, but as soon as something hard happened, no growth happened. And that's one thing that we do not want in our suffering. We don't want to be that when suffering comes, we fizzle out or we fade away. God is saying here in this passage that suffering can bring about some of the best growth for you. And in a way, it's a a test of your genuineness. We see this other uh, thing for character in the refining fires in other places of the scriptures. The precious metal gets put into the fire so it can burn off its impurities. The longer it stays in, the more pure it gets. Now, there's an element here about timing. I'll admit that. The thing when we go into suffering, the suffering fires of life, is this. You pull out too soon from the situation you're in, you miss out on some of the purity or the lessons that you could have learned along the way from the Lord. You stay in too long, maybe you get damaged in the process. You see, practically speaking, there is an element here of timing and our suffering where we need to go to the Lord and ask him for wisdom about the situation that we're in. As you pour out your heart to him about what's on your mind today when I'm talking, pour your heart out to him, but ask him for wisdom about what you're supposed to do. Sometimes the answer might be to wait. And the Lord will compassionately just let you know you need to stay in this even though it hurts. Trust me, I'm doing something. Sometimes the Lord might say, no, we're good to go. You've, you've proven your, your genuineness. Time to move on. When we're in a difficult situation, let's ask the Lord for wisdom about the trial that we're facing. Now, I'm going to pull up Psalm 13 here. Um, before you start reading, don't read it yet. All right? This is a lament psalm. Let me teach you what a lament is first. Biblically speaking, a lament has two hands. One is open, one is closed, okay? The open hand is us going to the Lord first with our anxieties, our cares, our problems, pouring out our hearts, our pains, our situation. But the second hand of a lament is the closed one because it is grasping on firmly and choosing to believe what is true about God in the Bible regardless of the situation, And you're going to see that here in Psalm 13 today. This is a fantastic psalm of lament. And I think it's going to be relatable. Maybe you've seen the first phrase there. How long, O Lord? I don't know about some of you guys, but that's relatable for me. All right? Let's read it. How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? Does this sound like anybody today? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Let up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, and lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. 
watch this now. We're going to have that hand that clings on to the truth about what we know to be right and good about God from the scriptures. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully to me. That's lament. Offering up your heart on a platter to the Lord, but then at the same time, clinging on to everything you know to be true about him. The things that I might be questioning, no, God's word says this about you, Lord, so I'm gonna choose to believe it, even in spite of what I'm telling you on the other hand. I don't know about some of you, but maybe Psalm 13 needs a bookmark in your Bible right now. And it might be that your homework for this week is reading that every day and printing your way through it. Rely on the Lord through the pain. Moving on in verse four. And character produces hope. Now this hope here is looking forward to what is beneficial and good. And what kind of hope? We have to look here, the, next, uh, the answer is in the next verse. It's hope that does not put us to shame, it says. This could also be said, hope that doesn't disappoint. It's a hope that will not let you down. Why does it say in uh, verse 5? Because God's love has poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. When you're going through suffering in the refining fires of life, who, whom, I don't know the English, whom, who, or what you place your hope in makes all the difference. Just ask the three Hebrew boys in Daniel 3 of what their experience was like going through the fire and having hope that doesn't disappoint. Most of you know, but Nebuchadnezzar, the king, heated the furnace way hotter than it had ever been heated. And when all was said and done, there was a fourth among them walking around the fire. And King Nebuchadnezzar said it was like it was the son of God. So you can place your hope in lots of things to get you through the trials of life, but nothing will take the fire like Jesus can. Nothing. Jesus is the only hope that will not put you to shame. When you learn to hope in Jesus to get through the trials and struggles and the pains of life, not hoping in vacations, promotions, relationships, food, alcohol, you name it, all the other things, you got to turn from them and turn to Jesus when your heart is breaking. And you will learn and experience for yourself over time that you can go from being hopeless in trials to hopeful. The question is, will you trust God's plan for your sanctification? Will you trust him with it? Will you trust him with your life? If that's the case and you're going to give him some trust, then you have to ask yourself another question. Do you value your sanctification more than you value your comfort or ease of life? It means you have to be willing to give some things up. The things that we always want to hope in in life, easier relationships, more obedient children, financial security, the bigger house, no need for doctor's visits, the respect and the influence that comes from that job promotion. We want lots of things in life. Let me ask you, are you willing to give that up so that God can do a work internally in you? Not change the outside circumstances, all the things that you're hoping in, but are you willing to let him work in and through your heart, through 
the suffering. Listen, if we trust God, if our hope is in him, and if we view our lives from his perspective, we will learn to value what comes from the sanctifying fires of life instead of constantly trying to put out the fires. We will learn to rejoice in suffering. I believe as Jonathan Edwards once said in a sermon, he had three points. He said, as Christians, he said, what's bad gets turned to good. What's good can't be taken from us. And what's best is yet to come. You see, for non-believers, life here on earth is as good as it's ever going to get. But then after this life, things are going to get much, much worse. As a believer today, you sit here, this is as hard as your life's ever going to get. It's only going to get better from here. Because we have that hope in that future. The bad things work out for good, Romans 8, 28. The good things that we talked about in verses 1 and 2, if you're a child of God, that can be taken from you. And the best is yet to come. So today, we have seen that the gospel gifts us by settling our standing in him, and it sanctifies us through suffering. But please, don't you forever get, forever forget that your suffering is not in vain, and you're not suffering alone, because Christ suffered too. And I don't mean to disrespect anyone here today or whatever situation you're going through or what you will go through, but he suffered greater than any person will ever suffer for all of history. I mentioned earlier that the gospel is a gift that keeps on giving and that gifts are free. But please understand this before you go today, that gifts do have a cost. It is just not paid by the recipient. Jesus paid the cost for you to have these gifts today. I want you to follow along with me again in Romans 5, the passage that we've covered today, verses 1 through 5, and I want you to see how these gifts were acquired for us. In verse 1, Jesus didn't get justified. He paid the penalty so that we could be freed from sin. Christ experienced tribulation with God when his own father had to turn his back on him, and we see that when Jesus says in the book of Matthew, my father my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He did this so that we could have peace and live in tranquility before God, the one and only holy God. In verse 2, Jesus gave up his firm standing in God's good graces and kindness so that we could have hope and assurance in his kindness that it would go forever before us. He experienced depravity so that we could have a bright hope and a future before us. Verses three and four, Jesus suffered greatly when he went to the cross and it wasn't suffering that he could rejoice in. He endured the cross for character. He proved his genuineness in the testing fires of Calvary for hope. He looked forward to something beneficial and good for us at Calvary because you and I were on his heart and mind. In verse five, he was put to shame so that when we stand before God, we don't have to be. And finally, in verse 5, the love of God only pours out on our hearts today because the blood spilled out of Jesus. Thanks to Jesus Christ, the gospel gives us today good, practical gifts that help us in our everyday lives. It's the gift that keeps on giving. The old hymn says this, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. 
And I'd say that's true. And while I don't know what exactly you're suffering with today, Jesus knows and he's felt your pain. And because he lives, you can face whatever is plaguing you today. As we go out of here, there's a couple things. Maybe you need the gospel today because you've never believed. Once again, if that's the case, please come talk to me after the service up here, or or we'll also have an elder up here after the service. Maybe you are saved, you've received the gospel, but you needed the reminder today that the gospel is such a great gift. God has settled your standing before him. See him for what he is. Keep your eyes on him and remember his goodness. And in case you didn't know today, God uses suffering for good things in our lives. He produces Christ-likeness in us. So if you'd like to be more like Christ, you can now rejoice, however that looks, when suffering comes. Because we know that God is using it for good. He's producing endurance, character, and hope. So let me encourage you today. Don't be hopeless in your suffering. God's doing a good work. Trust him and walk in hope today. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for this time that we got to be together. And Lord, I know this maybe sounds a little bit crazy to some in this room today, but it is possible to be thankful for the hardships, knowing what good they can bring in you and for your cause. And Lord, we know today that without your suffering, we would never be able to endure ours. So Lord, thank you for what you did on the cross. Thank you for the price you paid so that we could have it for free. Thank you for these gifts. Thank you for making a way. You are great, you are good, you care, and you are able. So we glorify you and praise you and thank you today for all all that you've done. And Lord, no doubt there are people in this room today that are brokenhearted. Lord, would you give them hope right now? Hope in you. Hope in your word. Hope in your promises. Lord, yes, there are bad and hard things that happen in life. But Lord, you can work it all together for good. And Lord, the good things that we have in life, they can't be taken from us. Good things like being your child, getting to have peace before the Father, getting access to your grace, which we are firmly implanted in, and having that hope for a bright future. Lord, we know nothing can take that away. And God, we thank you that for us believers, the best is yet to come. Give us that hope for that future, Lord. Give us hope in our sufferings. Help us to rejoice, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.